you would remain standing and open your Bibles to Psalm 1. Over the summer, we're going to set, as we said, uh, our study in the Gospel of John uh, aside. It's just on hold. Uh, we can't go this far. We're already committed. We've got to finish. And so we'll, we'll get back to that in the fall. But for the summer, we'll be considering various psalms. This morning, the first half of the introduction, Psalm chapter 1. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and give him thanks. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this. Your word, would you help us by your spirit? to see and comprehend, would you use this introduction to the Psalms, Lord, to inform our thoughts, our emotions, our lives. May we be a people committed to the Psalms, where we hear echoed back to us in your divine word all the things that we live through and go through in this life, both big and beautiful and small and terrifying. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, for around 3,000 years, the Psalms have informed the people of God. They're at the very heart of so much of who we are and what we are as God's people. They're not just meant as breaks in book studies. It's a good time to do that, however, um, because it gives us a steady rhythm and time each year in the Psalms. I love it. All of human experience and life with our God is found in the Psalms from the best of times, the coronation of a king. Celebration over the birth of a baby. Celebration of the salvation of sinners to the lowest of lows, loneliness, depression, abuse, confession, repentance, sleepless nights. It's all here. It's all in the Psalms. And it's diverse literature as well. Psalms of praise, lament, thanksgiving, coronation, pilgrimage, royalty, wisdom, and imprecatory psalms. Everything is touched by it. 
Luther said the Psalms are a little Bible wherein everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended. It's like a summary. Commenting on the early church's use of the psalm, 4th century church father Theodore of Antioch says this, quote, of most scriptures men know nothing, but the psalms are repeated in private houses, in streets, and in marketplaces by those who have learned them by heart and feel the soothing power of their divine melodies. That's 350 A.D., these are well-known, well-trodden paths. The Psalms aren't a random collection either. It's not like playing Boggle where you, all the letters are in there and you just shake it up and set it down and then you're good to go. No, they're structured, they're curated for us divinely. They're placed where they are for a reason. So how do you open such a work of poetry, song, doxology, lament, praise? How, how do you start? How do you begin? One introduction wouldn't be enough, so God has given us two. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 jam together to serve as a double gate into the whole. Neither one is titled. One begins with the word blessed, and the other ends with the word blessed. It forms a, a rising arc and a falling arc. It, it starts us in one place and ends us in another place, and it says, use this introduction to consider the whole. How many of you read book introductions? I absolutely do, and I've talked to some who don't. I can't jump into chapter one without reading an introduction. Like, it, I feel like I'm just totally missing what's going on in chapter one if I skip it. That's why I think every time we approach the Psalms, we have to go through this gate, this introduction. Psalm one, contrast the way of the righteous, those who meditate on God's law and instruction, the Torah day and night, and the way of the wicked, Psalm 1, 4 through 6, who, who do not follow God's path. Psalm 1 is personal. It focuses in close on an individual life. Consider how that one life might be lived before God or not. Psalm 2 introduces God's anointed, the Messiah, the earthly king whom God calls my son. God rules and reigns on his creation through this king. This psalm is corporate. It's huge. It involves nations, politics, kings, leaders. Together, Psalm 1 and 2 then provide a lens or a window through which we are invited as the reader to consider all the Psalms. This is the grid that we are to have. Meditating on God's law, his instruction, his word, and in hope of God's messianic reign and peace and justice on the earth. That is what we are to consider. 
as the Psalms open up to us, as this doorway opens, it's saying us, individual, consider your life and also consider your world. Consider who is ruling and reigning over you. Again, this is uh, uh, the beginning word of Psalm 1 and the ending word of 2. This, this idea of blessing is what's hold, what holds this entire introduction together. All the Psalms are to be considered through the lens of blessing. So today, Psalm 1. It's about two paths. Two trajectories in life. It's a really simple psalm. But when, when we consider the larger reality of our own life, we, we are to consider where we stand in this psalm. The psalms are inviting us to do it. It's why they're in God's word. Consider yourself. Who are you in this psalm? We'll approach it like this, two paths, two pictures, and two products. Two paths, two pictures, two products. The first path is the way of the righteous. The psalm opens, blessed is the man. What do you think of when you hear blessings? Christians of all the people on the earth should have blessing on our tongue. We should speak blessing to others. We should graciously receive blessings spoken to us by others. But when you hear that word, what do you think it means? What does it mean to be blessed? It doesn't refer to material wealth or possessions. It never has. It means blessed of God and blessing others. Being blessed isn't a moment of happiness. It's not what we mean when we bless others or what God means when he blesses us. It's not, have this happy moment. I hope your day has like just this great moment. That's not it. Rather, it's a, it's a joyful condition of the heart the heart experienced by those who are right with God and right with neighbor. It's a joyful experience of the heart. So you see, this blessing isn't like, man, I'm just having such a great day. Because in your, in your low days, and the Psalms are going to go again and again and, and again to these points, like when cold water gets thrown on these realities, you can still live a, a blessed life. It's not that you're getting all the, all the right stuff or everything is going your way. It's not that at all. That's not what the psalmist is opening with. Joyful condition of the heart. True happiness, true joy is, is real. Our world longs for it. It's hungry for, for true, a, a moment of true happiness, existential, felt happiness and joy. So much of our lives, even in this room, are live 
lived trying to obtain happiness, and yet so often it remains elusive. We work, we dig, we grind, we pour into relationships, and yet our bodies fail. Our minds crack. Relationships suffer. The first thing then that characterizes this blessed man is not what he does, but what he does not do. Do you see it in the text? This blessed person is not first and foremost marked by the things that he is actively doing, but by not walking in the counsel of the wicked, nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of scoffers. Blessed life, the psalm wants to tell us, is a progression. It's a progression. First, he's influenced by the sinners, then he identifies with the sinners, then he spreads the sin to others through his laughter and sarcasm and scoffing. It begins with just a walk. And consider sin in in these ways that the psalmist wants us to. Consider these defiant um, steps, defiant against God and his word. It begins with a walk, a conversation. But with a wicked man, literally that means hostile to God. Consider the, the, the curvature of your heart. Every one of us in here is sinners. We're we're all guilty before God. So we've all experienced these realities. Then it moves to standing in the way of scoffers. Way here means life. Standing in the life. Scoffers of sinners. That means your own level association. The, The conversation has evolved or the sin has evolved from just flirting with it to now living in it and finally to to sit with scoffers having a voice with them it's not just something that you were complicit in over here a little bit but now you're you're fully engaged in all the people who just don't listen to wickedness now fully wicked themselves, mocking, deriding what is good and true. This is how it works. This is a walk away from blessedness. How can we think about these things? I think on the surface, it holds a warning for us. It absolutely should. Warning for the Christian, be careful about what you allow into your life. What begins as a casual encounter leads to all-out mockery of God. Be careful what kinds of conversations you engage in. Be careful the kinds of things you expose your eyes and hearts to. However, to honestly apply this, we need to ask who it's about. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1, the happy blessed, fulfilled man. Who 
has this ever been fully? We're told Adam and Eve in the garden, our confession says that they were created in a blessed condition. Confession 4.2, they were happy in their communion with God. That, that term happy is the term blessed. They were blessed in communion with God fully. Did they remain like that? No, they didn't. They defied God's command and his provision and so plunged themselves and all of us, you and me, in this room, everyone who's walked the face of the earth since that time, they plunged us into sin and death. The happy, blessed man isn't sinless. Is it Abraham? We would all consider him a blessed man, wouldn't we? Is he a sinless man? No. He lied about his wife. When he was told not to go to Egypt, he went to Egypt. He lied about her. She, she was going to have to be in someone's harem. And it didn't happen just once. It happened twice. It's not him. Was it Moses? No. Moses, in a fit of rage, killed a man with his bare hands, buried him in the sand trying to cover up his crime. When God told him to speak to a rock, he struck it. Not good enough. Was it David? The great king of Israel, anointed, surely he's the blessed man of Psalm 1. He committed murder. He committed adultery. He was a, he was a terrible parent. Wasn't him. On Psalm 1-1, Augustine's first line of his commentary says this, quote, This is to be understand of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord man, end quote. Who is the ultimate of the blessed man? What is the doorway to the Psalms? It's Christ. First and foremost, it's him. I'm not saying we're without lessons here. We have lessons to glean. But unless we see this through the grid of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will miss it. Perfect righteousness, perfect happiness, perfect avoidance of sin is the life of Jesus. That's the application. That's the first application of this blessed man who, who doesn't walk, sit, or stand with evil, with mockery. It's to look to, to Jesus. To find your life and fulfillment in Christ for our sake. He made him who knew no sin. He is not this person who's walking in these wicked ways. He knew no sin to be sin for us. That in him we might obtain, we might have his righteousness. That's the first trajectory of this psalm. So contrasting this walking with the wicked, standing with sinners and sitting with scoffers, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. 
This blessed man has a different grid than the rest of the world around him. He is not informed by the things that the world invites us to think through. That doesn't inform his life. So what informs his his life? What, What fuels this passion for a blessed life? He says the the law of the Lord. On the law, he meditates day and night. Literally, the word of God is his food. Does that remind you of anyone? Jesus himself said, "It it is my food to do the will of my father. It's exactly what we see here. This is the grid. This is the, the focus of this blessed life. The focus is the word of God. Then we're given a snapshot. What does this look like? Metaphor. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. I think every one of us wants to be happy. We would be lying. You would be lying to me and I would be lying to you if I stood up here and said... I don't want to be happy. I really kind of want to be miserable. No, even people who have pursued happiness through misery are still pursuing happiness and blessed lives. Here's the image of that blessed life. The image is of a tree planted by streams of water. For a tree to grow healthy and strong, for a tree to produce fruit, it must have a source of water outside of itself, causing it to grow. It's got to have soil, water, light. It's dependent. It's dependent. Trees don't grow themselves, and this tree is planted. It is intentionally put where it will flourish. Men, women, children, The only way to be a Christian is to put roots down deep into Christ, into his word. You cannot be a Christian going it alone. That is impossible. You need your great resource, God himself. You will never live a blessed life on your own. All of us, I think, enjoy cut flowers. They're great. Like, who doesn't like to get a a bouquet of flowers? Isn't that lovely? They're great. But do you know the reality of those flowers? They're already dead. There is no source. There is no cut flower that's going to live perpetually. It's going to be beautiful in your home for a a few days. A week, maybe. Like if you're really good to them and you open that little packet and do everything right and dump it in and get the acidity just right, maybe two weeks. It's going to die because it no longer has the source it needs for nourishment. And what this is saying is the blessed, righteous man is planted having everything, the the soil, the water, the light of God himself, streams of living water flowing nearby. This is the gateway to the psalm. 
here's the gateway. You need an outside source. You need resources that you do not have within you. So we have our first way, our first metaphor, and now our first product. What does this blessed life look like? What does it produce? The psalmist says three things. First, it yields its fruit in season. That is when it's right. When the time is right, this is productive. Our lives have seasons. My word, the Psalms acknowledge that. Our lives have seasons. We go through all sorts of things, craziness in relationships, at work. Be patient. In season, the blessed person who finds themselves connected, roots deep, will bear fruit. Second, its leaf does not wither. This is an evergreen. When the scorching heat comes, it stays green. When the fall comes and all the other leaves are getting wiped out and by the cold of winter, this tree stays steadfast, connected, strong. I hope you've experienced the reality of this in your own life especially as Grace Presbyterian Church. We could say a lot about other Christians in the community. I hope you have experienced this. When the, the leaves should be turning brown and falling off, I hope you have experienced continued sustaining grace. There's no other reason that you should be flourishing through trial and pain and hardship other than the fact that you are connected to your source, who is God himself. Planted by streams of water. Third in all he does, he prospers. Again, think here of Christ. This word prosper is really interesting. It literally means to rush or to advance. This tree isn't stagnant. It's advancing. It's got mission. This tree, this life planted by a stream of God's supply advances in mission and carries out exactly what God intends for it to carry out. I think of this first and foremost in the life of Christ but also through him to the mission that he gives his people. This person connected to the supply that is God advances in mission, doing exactly what God has called us to do, continuing to make disciples in the world. We have, we have reason above all else, above anybody else in our community, Christians, the people of God, have reason to love others. We have reason to advance his kingdom and, and usually that is through suffering. This will be a theme throughout the Psalms. It, it's not going to be pretty. Like everybody's winning. Yay. The, it's not that. The Psalms do not present that picture. But God's kingdom never stops. Even in the immense pain that is experienced. Go read Psalm 88 again just to refresh yourself. In, in, the, in the dark pain of life, God's mission doesn't stop. 
There's an advance. There's a prospering. And we hear Christ himself and Isaiah, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. The anguish of his soul, the anguish of Christ, he will see it and he will be satisfied. His ministry prospers. It advances even to death. In verse 4, the psalm turns to give us the other way, the other picture, and the other result. So the first path is that of the righteous. The, The second path is that of the wicked. The first thing we notice is that happiness, blessedness isn't the only option. The wicked are not so. The wicked are not so. Their path, their picture, their product are not like the righteous. They are not like this person planted by streams of water. They do not produce good fruit. They are not evergreen. Their life certainly does not accomplish mission. This is an unfulfilled life. This is straightforward in Psalm 1. It is to be avoided. It is not to be desired. The wicked life leads to destruction and ruin. The wicked is the other path. When we're given this second picture, what is the, if it's not like a stream, uh, this, this tree planted by streams of water, what is the picture of this life? It's like chaff. It's like chaff. That the wind drives away. The metaphor helps greatly in understanding what the psalm is teaching about rebellion. Why doesn't the psalmist stay with the tree and say that it withers? He doesn't want us to be fooled by appearances. Chaff is the husk of a, a grain of wheat, barley. It's just the, the husk. It, it, it appears like it's part the, the, a part of the, the grain itself, but it's actually not. If you take it in your hands and crush it together and toss it up, you're going to get the chaff that blows away in the wind, and what's going to fall is your little tiny grain. The outer life might look like the real thing, but when it's threshed, it's exposed for being empty. I think Calvin gives us a great application. He says this, Quote, the Holy Spirit teaches us to contemplate with the eye of faith what, other, what might otherwise seem incredible. For although the ungodly man may rise high and appear to great advantage like a stately tree, we may rest assured that he will be even as chaff or refuse. Whenever God chooses to cast him down from his high estate with the breath of his mouth. We will be tempted, all of us in this life, to envy the wicked. Don't be fooled by appearances. Life apart from God, life apart from the stream that flows, is an empty life. It's a half-life. Have you ever seen a big, beautiful oak tree cut down in the spring? I have. It's amazing. And, and it's full, it's full of life, and you can tell it's, it's vigorous, and then they come in and cut it down, and it falls and for days. 
again like that cut flower for days or weeks. It's going to still look green. But it's already dead. The true source of its glory and strength is gone. And eventually those leaves wither, turn gray, and fall to the ground. We look around the world. Sometimes we want the the life they have. Maybe the same things they have. Maybe the same toys, the same career, the same comfort, the same lifestyle. However, the truth is, apart from Christ, that is all going to be cast down in judgment. So what's the second product? Again, we're given a couple. The wicked will not stand in judgment. Sinners will not be found in the company of the righteous. Pictures here are terrifying. He's wanting us to see right up front, like this other path of life, this anti-God life leads to wrath and judgment. God is the one who will determine what a good life is, what a happy life is, and if you try to determine that for yourself, it will not go well. Listen, another resounding theme in the Psalms, it constantly reminds us again and again and again this reality, God is a just God. He wins. He will win and listen. That should be an incredible comfort to us. He wins. God's justice is perfect and utterly inescapable. Yes, that should terrify us. But also in Christ, it should be a huge comfort to us. He balances all the books So if you're like most readers, you're feeling pretty low at this point. There are two ways to approach life. The righteous and the wicked. We all fall in the wicked category, so then what is the right way? Verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The psalm wraps up with this stark thought that is a breathtaking reality. Righteousness or wickedness. We're all guilty of sin, wickedness. There's no third way. So then who knows the way? What are we to do now? Verse 6 gives an answer. The Lord knows. He knows the way of the righteous. He knows the path. This knowledge isn't like knowing information, like having our heads full of stuff. It's about identity. The Lord is the only one who knows the path because he, in fact, is the path. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the path of the righteous. The only way any one of us here will ever be acquitted or accounted as righteous will be in Christ. 
The only way you will ever take this first path is in him. Apart from him, we are all in the second category. We will not stand in the day of judgment outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows because he is the way. That's why he knows it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should what? Not perish, not be that second category, but what? Eternal life, the first category. He is the dividing line of all of us. We're meant in this part of the introduction to to ask ourselves to consider which path are we on. The only way to be on the path of the righteous, and yes, there are some good things to consider, being rooted and grounded in the word of God, planted by streams of water, all those things have great application. What I want us to to know first and foremost is the only way to be on the path of the righteous is to be with the one who knows that path, who himself is the path of the righteous, Christ himself. Ray Ortland has done a fascinating exercise. He wrote Psalm 1 as a photographic negative. Have you ever seen one of those? You rarely see them anymore. They may be an app like you can get on your phone to, to take pictures in the negative. Ba- basically, it, it takes the lightest areas photographed and, and makes them dark in the dark areas and make them light. You used to see them like way back before digital cameras. Um, you would get a roll of film and it would be negative. Right, you remember that? So he he kind of applies that technique to this psalm, and I just want to end by reading it. I think it's it's really helpful. It gives some great perspective on it. It goes like this. This is is the opposite, the, 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 the negative of Psalm 1. He says, blighted is the man who doesn't stick his neck out, doesn't think for himself, doesn't revere anything, But he laughs on cue while watching TV day and night. He is like everybody else. And all that he does, he gets by. Believers are not so. They don't move with the times. Therefore, the godly will not stand in the court of human approval nor the Christ-like at the best parties in town. For who is to say what is right? Doesn't everybody go to heaven anyway? Consider that negative and let it shine some light on what we just heard from the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Your word, especially for the Psalms, I pray that you would bless our time in them this summer. Lord, as we consider this introduction, may we consider who we are as we go through the rest of these Psalms, considering ourselves as righteous, not because of anything that we have done, but because of the righteousness of you, Christ, imputed to us by faith. Remind us, again and again and again that we must live this life planted in the resource that is you. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.